0: Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show.
1: And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I am Steve Dace. You are Todd Erzin. You are Aaron McIntyre. And man, what a day it was yesterday. I saw something I was convinced I was never going to see again for the rest of my life, man. The last time we made the NFC Championship game, gentlemen, I was a senior in high school. I am now 50 years old. <laughs> right. So it's it's been a minute. My Noah, Noah, who came to me when he was like 11 or no, maybe 10. He's like, dad, I can't do this. I love you. I want them to do good, but I I can't watch this every weekend. I don't know how you do it, dad. I got to check out, you know, and I, of course I gave him the papal dispensation. I didn't want to bestow this curse upon another generation. All right. He's like watching every game with me now. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I came out of the closet at school. All right. At Des Moines Christian about being a Lions fan. What a day it was yesterday. Incredible. And, uh, Amy was like, you ought to just, go on the show and act like that's all that happened yesterday and just do two hours on that, not mention anything else and just see what people do. We won't do that, but <laughs> yes, because everybody wants to talk about the other thing. So very much indeed things are going swimmingly. They're going great. That everybody wants to talk about the really serious stuff, but we will get to the really serious stuff. Uh, we'll also talk about our friends, Aaron. You guys got a big win yesterday as well. Yeah,
2: I, I'm enough with your melodrama. I was convinced the Chiefs weren't going to go to the AFC Championship game this year. So, nice. I, all things being equal, you know, I think nice. I had more of a relief
1: than you. The did. last 13 AFC Championship games, either Tom Brady or Pat Mahomes has been in them. Think about that. The last 13. The last 13, that's crazy. And then we won't mention what happened with Todd's team, but they had a good year. Youngest team in the league, you know, and uh, we're beating the 49ers and play outplaying them for much of that game, you know, until Jordan Love just decided to do the full Brett Favre at the end, it and you're like, what? The what, entire what, fourth quarter. What, it, what was that? What was that? You know, yep. but, you know the, the, the good of Brett Favre and the bad of Brett Favre, and it was more the bad of Brett Favre, but... So we will get to some of the serious stuff here in a moment after we tell you about our friends at First Cup Coffee Company. They're a Christian-owned, patriot coffee company that doesn't just share your values, but they make some hella coffee as well. Freshly roasted beans delivered in ground or whole bean texture pods. Bulk 11 roast profiles are available as well. The, the roast date is right there on the bag. And there's a flavor for every freedom-loving American. All right, so you can go to FirstCup.com and use the code DACE and save an additional 10% on your order if you do. FirstCup.com, code DACE, save 10%. And if you subscribe, you save an additional 10% uh, on the life of your subscription at FirstCup.com, code DACE. That's FirstCup.com, code DACE. All right. So obviously, the the big news yesterday is Governor Ron DeSantis dropping out of the presidential race, suspending his campaign. And given that that's the big news in the country and the big news for our audience, we just figured there wasn't really much of a point and creating a montage since the entire conversation was going to feed off of that today. So instead, what we have determined to do uh, as a show is we're gonna lead off by letting Governor DeSantis in his own words explain why he made the decision he made to suspend his presidential campaign.
0: Greetings from Florida. The warmth of being home is a reminder why I've chosen public service. From joining the United States Navy and serving in Iraq to representing the people in the US Congress and now serving as governor of Florida. And it reminds me why I decided to run for president, to fight for those who've been forgotten in this country. This is America's time for choosing. We can choose to allow a border invasion, or we can choose to stop it. We can choose reckless borrowing and spending, or we can choose to limit government and lower inflation. We can choose political indoctrination, or we can choose classical education. These choices are symptoms of the underlying struggle to ensure that constitutional government can endure and that Western civilization can survive. And we launched this campaign to bring accountability to government, regain sovereignty at our border and restore sanity to our society. We cannot succeed as a country if we allow our nation to be invaded, our currency to be debased, our cities to crumble, and our kids to be indoctrinated. The DC elites who facilitated this mess do not care about you and they do not work for you, they work for themselves. They seek to accumulate power at your expense to pursue an agenda that is harmful to the American people. Citizens do not serve politicians, it is the duty of politicians to serve you. Talk is cheap, actions speak louder than words. Reversing the decline of this nation requires leadership that delivers big results for the people we are elected to serve. I have a record of leading with conviction, championing an agenda marked by bold colors, delivering on my promises and defeating the people who are responsible for our nation's decline. That is the type of leadership we need for all of America. Now over the past many months, Casey and I have traveled across the country to deliver a message of hope that decline is a choice and that we can in fact succeed again as a nation. Nobody worked harder and we left it all out on the field. Now, following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. While well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackage formed of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. I thank all of our passionate supporters who have stood by us through it all, that we had people volunteer to come to Iowa in the middle of a blizzard To knock on doors and make phone calls touched us dearly. No candidate had more thrown at him, but no candidate had so many committed volunteers and staff. Finally, I want to thank my wife, Casey, and our kids, Madison, Mason, and Mamie. Casey's gone far above and beyond in her support for our campaign and for our cause. She's not only a great wife and mother, she's a great American who cares deeply about the future of the country that our kids will inherit. Our kids have seen and done a lot on the trail from playing on the famed Field of Dreams baseball site in Iowa to making their first snowman in New Hampshire. They are one of the reasons we fight so hard for what we believe in. Winston Churchill once remarked that, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. While this campaign has ended, the mission continues. Down here in Florida, we will continue to show the country how to lead. Thank you and God bless.
1: All right, that's Governor Ron DeSantis' statement yesterday on uh, why he is suspending his campaign and and what is in the future for him. Uh, We will each share our thoughts. We will bring uh, Bob Vander into the conversation here at the bottom of the hour to join in with his as well. And then next hour, we're going to turn the page and lay out what now is next now with with essentially the general election now upon us and what to look forward to throughout the the remainder of this year. Uh, We will have that conversation coming up in the next hour of the show after I tell you about our friends at Constitution Wealth. They are the Patriots' choice in wealth management. So let me ask you something. Uh, Do you avoid, when you can, shopping with businesses that uh, assault your values? That can be difficult to do, but a lot of you are trying to do it when it's possible. So why not do the same thing with your investment and retirement funds and those exact same businesses when you could be aligning your investment money with your values? And that's why you want to go to Constitution Wealth. They can help you build a solid investment plan because you still have to retire someday, and they can reduce your investments in ESG and DEI and CEI and participate participation uh that way you are reducing your investments in woke corporations and in doing so helping to fight the culture war with your most powerful weapon your money and your voice this is your opportunity to help build the parallel economy by working with an investment firm comprised of professionals who are patriots just like you So work with an advisor who shares your values, your patriotic values. Why work with anyone else? Go to constitutionwealth.com slash Steve and sign up for a free consultation today at constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. So I'll start. Um, You may or may not have noticed last week I was kind of noncommittal when the question came up on what I thought the governor should do next and and that's because as I've told you guys always that I'll be as transparent with you as I can uh, provided it doesn't you know violate uh, any third party confidences and in this case I had people Um, that were very supportive and or close to the governor that were on both sides of this lighting up my phone all last week, uh, lobbying one way or the other. And I, I just felt, you know, as I tried to entertain both sides of those conversations, it would be disingenuous of me to then just go on the air and give a position contrary uh, to uh, what I was attempting to do away from uh, the show. So that's why I was kind of noncommittal when this conversation came up. I I did get a call yesterday uh, from the governor uh, before the announcement was made. We spoke for a little more than a half an hour. Um, He was in very good spirits. Actually, the first thing he wanted to talk about was the Lions-Buccaneers playoff game because, of course, he's the governor of Florida. So we actually broke that down for a few minutes, and then um, we broke down uh, why he made the decision that he made uh, and you know, what's the path forward for this election and for the country. And a lot of it involved the very themes, uh, that, uh, that he talked about there. And then a few other things that, uh, I'll probably just keep to myself because, uh, they were a little bit more personal in nature, uh, in, in terms of those assessments. Um, here's why I'm handling this pretty well. When we broke from Christmas break, the first night that we were at home, uh, the, I, I woke up the next morning and was just really down. And you guys know how much I love Christmas. I mean, I was just really down. And, you know, similar to when I've had experiences when, you know, I received, um, you know, when I was inspired to go all in on COVID, when I was inspired to write the nefarious plot sequel, and Nefarious Carol, you know, essentially I just woke up. That very first night I woke up the next morning. So that would have been what, uh, December 21st, because the 20th was our last day here at work, right? So I woke up December 21st and it was just all laid out to me what was going to, you know, basically happen. I don't know how else to describe it, how this was all going to go down. And I um, I labored under that for several days and uh, and even for the next couple of weeks. I mean, I spent a lot of time praying Give us the leader, not that we deserve, but that we need. But if we get the leader we deserve, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. So, so be it. You know, either way, we're still way more blessed. I mean, I got to lead off this show today talking about a silly football game that is largely meaningless in the grand scheme of things, right? You know, we're still all way more blessed than we deserve to be. Amen. And so, um, but I went through kind of my morning period, uh, and then broke for Christmas. And then, you know, I always send our team here a memo when we're over our Christmas break, kind of looking ahead to the next year. And, you know, if you guys go and look at the memo I sent you on December the 26th, the morning right after Christmas, I kind of laid out exactly what I thought would happen. That um, uh, that I that I And I, I thought the most likely scenario is that Trump would win convincingly and that um, DeSantis could be out of the race within a week. And that's Kind of what happened. He he was lost. He lost. Bat, Trump won. Uh, dominated on Monday, and DeSantis was out on Sunday. So within that week period of time, and I kind of worked my way through this. And you know the way I'm wired, I'm going to go down swinging. So I went out and did as many DeSantis campaign events as I possibly could because he's the best candidate I've ever had a chance to vote for for president. But um, I've made my peace with it. I'm, I I I was anticipating this, and and that was. You know, probably from a generational standpoint, the way that this had to go and had to end. So, it is it is what it is. Um, I'm not surprised that he took the high road. Him and Casey are fine people. Frankly, too good for this country in its current conditions. If I'm being brutally honest, um, I never saw even behind the scenes. I never saw any form of mistreatment of people, um, just class and dignity the entire time. There were... There were strategic choices, particularly by the super PAC early on, who was running focus groups that said it was impossible to criticize your primary opponent, Donald Trump. And at one point, I said to someone very high up in one of those focus groups, if that is the case, you should just drop out now. What's the point in running against an opponent that your base says you're not, won't permit you to draw, you know, differences with? There are strategic things that I would have done differently. Why did we not talk about them on this show very often? Well, some of you, you know, the show has grown a lot since 2016. Like, I I am receiving way more notes from people telling me now that I'll never vote for Trump than I ever received in the aftermath of Cruz in 2016. I'm not sure how much of that is just the show's a heck of a lot bigger than it was then, or resistance has grown. It's probably more the former, because the show has literally grown like 600% since 2016. So, we're going to get more of like everything now, if you you know what I'm trying to Mm -hmm. say. Okay. So, um... It's, it's, when I was, so a lot of you weren't listening back in those days. I mean, when, when I disagreed with our strategy, I just went on the air and said what I thought. You guys were here, you know that. If I disagreed, I just would say so. I felt like I had to keep it real, regardless, of, and I was on the payroll. I mean, I was, I was, I, I mean, I would be in on strategy calls, and if, if we did, didn't do what I thought was right, I got to still do a show. That's my meal ticket, so I would often... You know, if I disagreed, I'd just say so on the air. Um, I wasn't on the payroll. Not until very late was I, like, intimately involved with the campaign, aside from just being an admirer of the governor's resume. Um, Why didn't I do more of that in this race? There are two reasons why. Um, Aaron, do you have a graphic that I sent you this morning? Can you put it up on the screen? Yeah, give me 20 seconds. Okay. There's a spiritual reason. I'll start with that first. I, I truly believe this is generational. And it was it's this is this is the same M.O. of the current ascendant generation. This is the way that it has politically behaved. It just votes for whoever Fox News tells them to vote for. Um, And I mean, that was literally reflected in the um, in the exit polls in Iowa. Okay, I mean, uh, boomers dominated a low turnout event. And the order that they voted for is exactly the same order of how people were covered and ex- and, and promoted on Fox News. So um, I'm an absolute believer the country is under a generational curse. I, I full-throated believe that. I do. That doesn't mean, by the way, it has to turn out poorly, you know? I mean, there's there's plenty of people that are from that generation that are trying to undo what their generation did, and God bless them. I hope that they are successful in doing so, okay? But 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 I I do believe there was no... Because we're dealing with supernatural forces, I don't believe. And this is where I have a worldview difference with some people whose opinions politically I respect, but they just don't have the worldview that I have. And that's okay, I might be wrong. But uh, I absolutely believe there were spiritual forces at work here that were just not going to be deterred. So therefore, I don't think it was worthwhile making arguments or disagreements about things in the natural world when I don't think the natural world is very much... It's You know, um, controlling or or shaping what is p- taking place right now that we're seeing. I think it's from strongholds and principalities in the unseen realm. But then second, for those of you that that don't buy into that, let me let me give you a natural world take. I want to just show you one graphic that will sum this all up for you. This if you go back to our Days Group end of year episode and I mentioned this. All right. In our DACE group year end roundtable, I mentioned that on March 30th, all right, on March 30th, the the RCP national polling average between Trump and DeSantis was like 42 to 35 or something. And that's or 46 to 35. That's reflected right here. You can just see it right here on this graphic. Look, you just see it right here. All right. The next week, one week later, look what happens. One week, I, did I not say this on the Dace Group roundtable on Friday or on, on, on the last uh, Dace Group of the year uh, a month ago? Yeah. I brought this very point up and I, and I pointed out what changed because Ron DeSantis wouldn't announce his, his candidacy until the end of May. Two more months. What changed is Alvin Bragg indicted Donald Trump. I don't believe there was anything. If, if you want Trump to, if you wanted DeSantis to go scorched earth on Donald Trump, I'm just telling you right now, with, when all those indictments were taking place in May, June, July, August, n- none of that would have gotten covered. I mean, that would have, that would have, you were, you were literally owning, all right, depositing your seed into the ground to avoid impregnating uh, your sister-in-law. It's just a waste, all right? Nothing would have changed. Nothing's going, would have overcome that. No message, nothing. Were mistakes made? Sure, there's mistakes made on tons of campaigns. Maybe those mistakes would have made the distance between him and Nikki Haley wider last Monday, but I don't. I I think this ended there. That essentially meant we weren't going to have a real primary campaign. And if there's anything that I would have done differently with any of the counsel or advice that I gave, it would have been anticipating more of this and just urging the governor to not even run. Because we didn't have a real primary the entire time. People made the decision, as the governor said in his talk, that they want to see it through with Donald Trump. They believe what's happening is unfair here. So be it. The people get their way. And that's pretty clear. So you can throw at me, they should have done this or should have done that. Two months before they were even a candidate. And they could do any of the stuff that you think they should have done better. OK, two months before they were even a candidate. Look, they don't even get in until Memo- Memorial Day weekend, the end of May. This thing had already been determined largely in the minds of many people. That's just a fact, Jack, like it or not. Um, I hope that he goes back to Florida. And proves that he is who we thought he was by just continuing to quote Guardians of the Galaxy, taking an ass and, and kicking names. Alright, there's other L's he can be handing Democrats there. It's still one of the largest platforms in the, uh, in the country. His favorables are still very high. He's at least the third most popular Republican in the country, maybe the second. And unlike with Ted Cruz, you know, when Ted lost, he had to go back to being a backbencher in the Senate. And, you know, he had no control over his own agency. Mitch McConnell controlled all the chamber and, and what the agenda was going to be. Uh, Mike Huckabee was already out of politics except for being running for president. Same for Rick Santorum. He's going to go right back and has a, a nearly another full term of being governor of Florida, where he's going to be in the news and in the headlines fighting the enemy all of the time. And he's also just 45 years old. But now it is up to him now to keep that fight going. And if he does, I think he'll be a formidable force if we're fortunate enough to have another election in 2028. And if he doesn't, he'll be a postscript. Gentlemen, your thoughts?
3: Well, on the graphic you put up there, there, there's one thing, there's one place that was had the potential to put the brakes on that and it's Iowa and not and it's not just because it is first it's because it's first and it's a caucus and because of its pattern of behavior its track record all of that combined which again which I wasn't just doing this because I was a DeSantis fan when I said he's right there take and that was obvious But I believe that it was something that Iowans had the capacity to do. Not not wishful thinking. And I said many times before, if Iowa doesn't do that, it is a different Iowa than in the past. Now, maybe it reverts back to course. I don't know. But Ron DeSantis deciding to run as he did against the obvious Leviathan of Trump. That was his calculus, too. And I don't even need to talk to him to know that you don't. If if it's if it's different, if New Hampshire is first, you might not even run. Ron DeSantis had to win, or at least be like a flip of a coin, for this thing to take off. And and iowans and their people are telling me right now, and they're they're right. You say yeah, you've been making a lot of jokes about Texas. You know, don't mess with Texas, and I did, and I don't regret them. But and they said it's time for the boomerang to come back in Iowa. You're right. The, the Iowa Republican Party, the Iowa Republican voter, the caucus voter, the one who is not just showing up on a whim and voting on the last thing you heard on the news. You're supposed to be well studied. Um, you have deeply, in my estimation, deeply forfeited your responsibility on how shamelessly you proved that you'd rather be a consumer than a citizen.
2: So my thoughts are, are pretty brief. Um, <clears throat> I will say it, there's a lot of people in the last, especially last week, saying strategy needs to change on the campaign, need to go absolute scorched earth. And to a, to a degree, I agree with, with, um, with that. It maybe should have gone a little bit more aggressive a lot sooner. Um, but I, I think a lot of people pitching that don't really understand spiritually or dynamically what's going on on the right right Correct. now. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, or the country. For the country, right they think now.
1: this is still solvable politically.
2: Yeah, and and I just disagree. I, I would reject that. The one criticism I think that does stick, and uh, you know hindsight is always twenty twenty, but what's one of the what's one of the rules for patriots, Steve? Never let your opponent define you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think to a degree, and again, this boomerangs back on the people as well. Uh, But I think uh, DeSantis allowed the Trump camp to define him pretty early uh, as far as uh, in in the primary. The primary to them started actually before DeSantis even got in. So that's one criticism that I think does stick. I'll just say this, and I'll repeat what I said on the Dace Group on Friday. Is that all of the sea, uh, um, uh, the rising of the tide, uh, the the entire ocean that, (laughs) that DeSantis was up against that's not going anywhere if we make it to 2028 all of the dynamics on the right all of the illnesses on the right that's still going to have to be contended with if he wants to run again in 2028 so i don't know i hope the the right lessons were learned in terms of how you define yourself and how, how you define your opponents the names may be different in 2028 who knows uh but the same dynamics are going to be there if we're still here in 2028 so I'll, I'll close by saying this. That's a person I'm proud of. That's a politician I'm proud of. That's a statesman I'm proud of. All class. He's a true example of a real leader in a rudderless age. I have absolutely no regrets on behalf of him. I have no regrets personally on supporting him. I think he did the right thing by running. And early on, he would say, we do the right thing. Follow, uh, follow, you, you know, um, your conscience, uh, in terms of governing, which he has done in Florida, stand up, take the slings and arrows and let the chips fall where they may. And the chips didn't fall where we would have preferred them this time around, but there's basically nothing, um, basically nothing. I think in what he and the first lady, uh, um, did, I, I, there's basically nothing that I, cringe about there's nothing I think that they did that I'm like yeah no cut that out they were true examples to follow and for that I'm proud of them
1: one thing I should add thank you to both of you um and we'll bring Bob into the conversation here who also supported the governor uh in the next segment one thing I should add that him and I did talk about yesterday moving forward the governor and I is the grand jury in Florida and he wanted to make a point of saying, yes, it was announced in Florida, or I'm sorry, yes, it was announced in January. It has a one-year deadline to issue a report, at least a preliminary report of some kind. But it didn't actually begin its work until later. And off the top of his head, I think he couldn't remember if it was February or March. And then, so it has a one-year deadline uh, and then like a period of time after that deadline f- to, you know, to, to issue the report uh, publicly. So... um. That information, I know a lot of you in this audience in particular, that is a report that you are looking forward to. And I was assured yesterday that it is still coming. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see what it has to say. <clears throat> and if it says what we think it's likely to say, or at least some variation of it, given the way that the data uh, is trending right now, tragically, where Operation Warp Speed is concerned, it'll be fascinating to see... When someone with the power of the office of governor of one of the largest states in the union platforms it and puts his voice behind it, where does that go? Because that's that's one of the ways we got out of COVID. That's one of the ways we got out of perpetual lockdowns and masks is because he used the power and weight of his office as governor of Florida to create a counter narrative to push back on it with actual data and actual science. So... Will that in some way, shape or form permeate the uh, the blackout um, from the mainstream on the right and the left and talking about this now? I don't know. We shall see. But that'll be something that we'll be looking forward to here in the coming weeks. All right. When we come back, Bob Vander Plaats will join us. He'll uh, give us his take on Governor DeSantis' decision. And the next hour, we turn the page to what now lies ahead for the country at least as far as we can tell. Next. Back here on the Steve Day Show with a word about our friends over at Preborn. You know... We have often been very di- disappointed with uh, uh, political pro-life leadership on this program. So why don't we just bypass them all together and just go directly to a, a pro-life ministry that is actually in the battle of um, saving babies it, to the tune of last year. Last year, you helped them save 58,000 babies at pre-born. Just incredible. Even with Biden inflation, it's still less than $30 to pay for an ultrasound so that a mom who is considering an abortion decides maybe I shouldn't because now I can, I can feel, I can even see, you know, uh, my baby's heartbeat. I mean, I, I think about some of the stories that uh, we learned last year um, I, I think of Antoinette, she found out she was pregnant. She was in a bad place. She didn't know how she was going to raise a child on her own. She searched for an abortion clinic online. God led her to preborn clinic instead. And that's where she saw the ultrasound. And when she saw her baby, heard that heartbeat, she broke down, she cried. The nurse reminded her that babies are blessings from God and she chose life. And now that daughter's name is treasure because she is a gift from God just one of the success stories that you helped to pay for last year at Preborn. So if you want to be a part of the next group of tens of thousands of babies we're going to try to save this year, uh, dial pound 250 say the keyword baby on your mobile phone or even simpler and this is what we do when we donate to Preborn. Just go to slash steve slash steve That's slash steve By the way, the March for Life was Friday as we welcome Bob Vanderplats into the program. Did you see uh, Jim Harbaugh was out there marching?
4: I did. Matter of fact, was, he even I, spoke. Did you see that? It was great because uh, my peer in California, Jonathan Keller, so a shout out to Jonathan. He's a big fan of your show, especially the, this Monday segment. Well, tell
1: is. him he's from California. Stay the hell away from our coach. Yeah. But go ahead anyway.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think he kind of outed Harbaugh being there. He's the one who tweeted the picture about him and that, that, that kind of went viral. But uh, good for Jonathan. And good for Harbaugh for, for taking a stand. And like you told me, you won the national championship, you can say anything you want. Yeah, I
1: mean, he won his first Big Ten title three years ago or two years ago no three years ago and he starts showing up at pro-life banquets around the state of Michigan when a natty I'm marching in the march for (laughs) life no one can touch me not not even at left wing left wing Michigan whose dean of the law school Catherine McKinnon who former dean of the law school Catherine McKinnon used was a lesbian who used to teach her law school classes that all form of heterosexual sex even in marriage is rape because at some point is an act of the male imposing his will on the female not making any of this up up. even there even there Jim Harbaugh is like well I got a natty now I can say whatever I want I no say, one can touch say whatever
4: me. I want well yeah. maybe you can get uh, Harbaugh at our leadership summit on July 12 a little plug and maybe we get Harbaugh to give a pro-life message of a leadership summit
1: well let's uh that's not a bad idea is I mean, he still I mean, gonna be coaching let, the Wolverines let, or will he let, be coaching uh, chargers or? if I had to guess I think he'll be in the NFL yeah but I don't think it's a sure thing I think it's maybe 60 40 is maybe what I'd say um let's talk about what is a sure thing uh, Ron DeSantis announcing yesterday uh, that uh, he's no longer going to seek the presidency He is suspending his campaign. We all we, we heard his announcement. We played it for the audience in lieu of uh, the montage today so they could hear him in his own words. Um, we all discussed our own thoughts. Um, now it's your turn as someone who is a vocal advocate. I mean, this has got to be a strange uh, situation for you you're not used to coming up on the losing end in iowa caucuses you've been undefeated for 15 years you know mm-hmm. so um this is um, this is kind of uh, surreal territory
4: for you on both sides but. yeah but i think it's surreal territory for everybody i mean this has been probably the most unusual caucus i've ever been a part of uh and that's because you have basically an incumbent in the race in donald trump uh when i take a look around to santa steve and i've said it often when i looked at um, his reelection. In Florida and taking a toss-up state, turn it red, and leading all, all the issues that we as conservatives care about. I thought, what a guy to be our champion, what a guy to be our president. And watching him come out here and just working hard, all 99 counties, doing it the right way. As I said in my tweet yesterday, no regrets. This guy's a class act. And as much as I like Ron DeSantis, I've got to tell you, Casey DeSantis has impressed the heck out of me. Not only does she look like a first lady, but you almost look at her and she looks so much like a first lady, she's not willing to get her hands dirty. She's out there knocking on doors. She's out there making phone calls. She's the real deal. She's championing her husband. Just what you'd want to see a first couple do as a model to other marriages that a, a wife supports her husband, her husband supports the wife, they're champions of one another. They're raising three great young kids. They would've been an exemplary family in the White House. So yeah, I'm still, I mean, no regrets. I'm thrilled I went all in. I think Kim Reynolds is thrilled she went all in. I know you're, you're, you think you made the right decision and others too. Just an unusual environment. And so this is not against Ron DeSantis. It's an unusual environment. I think now he goes back to Florida He's a governor for three more sessions, beginning with this one. Uh, be a rock star governor. Let's see what happens in 2020. I'm not saying he's going to run at 28. I'm not going to say I'm endorsing him at 28. I'm just saying, let's see what happens. He's done exceptionally well as governor and thrilled to endorse him.
1: I want to give you a chance to respond to, to some of the points that we raised before you came on. Okay. okay. Um, let's start with what Todd had to say. Uh, And, you know, Todd expressed and correct me since you're sitting here, Todd, uh, feel free to correct me if I get it wrong, uh, expressed real profound disappointment and Iowa evangelicals. First of all, turnout. This is the lowest rate of turnout ever in the Iowa caucuses, period. The lowest rate of evangelical turnout we've ever had Mm -hmm. to thirdly, Trump won them two to one. All right. So this is your base. You know, you spend the year organizing and mobilizing these people. I think people don't understand. You just don't sit this organization that you that you helm. It doesn't just sit here dormant in between caucus. There's, there's other there's other conservative organizations in Iowa that that is what they do. They yeah. just sit here and hold events and collect fees for speakers in between caucus cycles. I mean, you guys, that's one of the reasons why you have such a good relationship with our governor. You guys are You guys actually take time out. It's the other way for you. You take time out of what you do the rest of the time in order to take part temporarily in this caucus process. So this base of people, you're mobilizing and communicating to them on a persistent basis year-round in between caucus cycles right so how would so do you think that Todd is justified in his disappointment
4: well I think he is justified matter of fact I'm disappointed Um, a matter of fact uh, I've just told our team you know we're gonna take about a month to six weeks meaning I'm gonna let all the emotion get out of me and then we're gonna take a very analytical look about what happened and why a didn't they turn out as Todd pointed out the lowest turnout that we've seen ever that they didn't turn out, and then when they did, they went two to one. The easier question, I think, is why they went two to one for Trump, and that is because he has a record of delivering on justices, religious liberty, uh, appointment, um, moving the embassy to Jerusalem, the Abraham Accords, and I think the indictments. Uh, if there's going to be a loyal base about, hey, you did well by me, we're going to stick with you, it's going to be the evangelical base. So they that's one. But I want to understand more of that. Because I think there's another part of it is where the narrative of the polls, you're going to get beat by 30 and he gets beat by 30. But do I really want to go into this neighborhood environment, which I believe is going to be a very divisive environment with my name? Do I really want to do that if my vote's not going to make a difference? Anymore, that he's going to get beat by that. So, I, So we need to take a look back ourselves and say, A, why didn't they turn out? B, why did they vote two to one for Trump? And just not even so much for being critical or casting blame on it, but I need to understand where is this at?
1: Along those lines, I showed this graphic to the audience before you came on. All right. This is the real clear politics polling average throughout the course of this campaign. All right. And I made mention of this on our DACE group uh, year end roundtable. Uh, our our penultimate show of last year. And I pointed out that on March 30th, all right, so you can see there, post-election, DeSantis's numbers post-22 coming out of the year, him and Trump's numbers are pretty stable. Yeah. Okay? And it's essentially on a national basis, which is a measurement of popularity and name ID only, it's a fairly uh, competitive race. Trump, under 50. DeSantis, under 40. Okay? But that's a very competitive race race nationally when you're going up against a former president right
4: and, and you then, have to believe that the advantage goes to the challenger in that the, case the break would go to the because
1: challenger. everybody knows everything that they already think exactly. about the, the the incumbent you're right yep. all right so i mean what's what's the typical rule in, 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 in primaries if you can get a if you can get an incumbent under 50 going into that primary that is a competitive race all right so this would be indicative of that right okay and then you see march 30th and and, and from that time forward the bottom completely drops out all right why indictments because that was the, the next day March 31st was the first indictment of Trump and um, there was nothing I mean Ron DeSantis wasn't doing he went on a book tour you don't lose popularity going on a book tour you're doing yeah. you know fairly static you know interviews and everything's favorable not to mention it I think it's like the best-selling conservative book of last year was his book or it's in the top I know it's in the top three at least it might be number one all right so cer- certainly going on a book tour didn't hurt him all right and so what happened what happened is Donald Trump was indicted and, and a switch was flipped. Clearly, what's happening here isn't right. We have to, as I, it goes back to what the governor said in his, his statement yesterday. The majority of Republicans just decided no matter what, they got to finish the race here. And this is unfair. And we essentially never really had an actual primary process from that time forward. And that's also why, and you know me, I don't have a problem expressing my disagreements with people on any level, okay? Mm-hmm. That's also why strategy things I would have done differently or more aggressively, I, I really don't think they would have mattered because of that. I think that tells the tale right there. That does.
4: And I think it's our biggest, our biggest issue because when I take a look at it, Stephen I'm glad you th- showed that graphic, um, you also remember that, DeSantis was covered like a presidential candidate running for re-election in Florida. It's a big state. He's doing a great job. National media, national news, getting all the coverage. And then he, after his uh, inaugural speech, which was like a presidential speech, bringing out the best of America, and it just looked presidential. But then after that, he became governor of Florida again and didn't get all the national attention. But the indictment started to get mm-hmm. all the national attention, right? Like, like if he had
1: resurrected the spirit of Lee Atwater, right? If he had gone King Saul to the witch of Endor and resurrected the spirit of Lee Atwater yep. and conjured up the perfect ad, the perfect message. How in the world do you break through that kind of hegemony of media coverage that I just I just pointed out to you there? I don't believe
4: that you can. Exactly. And probably the, the bigger question for me now, this becomes a numbers deal and. 2016, we had 186,000 people go to the Iowa caucuses, yep. which was a historic number, but we also gained a lot more Republicans. The target number before the, the winter weather was 217,000 internally. Yeah, a matter fact, Kim Reynolds started to go north of 200. Everybody's going, you know, we think we're going to get north of 200. Well, then you get the winter weather. And I talked to some people in the know, and they're saying, you know what, if, if it stays at 186,000, we think it could be a good night for DeSantis. But for every thousand it goes below, it's going to be a better night for DeSantis. I mean, the organization is going to keep producing, producing, yep. producing. Yep. So it gets to 110,000. I'm thinking we should win. We, I mean, this should be a win. And it's still a 30-point loss. That's what I want to understand. Because of the numbers went up, I, I, we get it, but if they go down. You think the organization produces. I need to understand what happened there. I think because I've thought about that, too
1: moving forward if we have another one of these, and it will not break my heart if we don't, okay? <laughs> but if we, if we have another one of these, I, I do think that we have to consider now in the, you know, Trump was the first candidate on the right to fully embrace social media as a messaging hub. But but the idea that but but the entire right had not yet done that. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That yep. that, that and that, that gave him an outlier huge advantage over everybody else. And that he was willing to just recraft whole news cycles and narratives via social media. Well in the eight years since that campaign, everybody it, it, social media is now the hub of every political narrative it now. It is. It's systemic now. Yep. And I think what you're clearly what, what we one thing that might clearly answer your question. Some of it is despondency. I remember I did say all of last year. I don't see anything on the ground that tells me Trump is up this big. The only way that the polls are real, I said, is if it's because his people are the only ones fired up and everybody else and therefore they're responding to these polls and everybody else is demoralized. And that's what we saw Monday night or last Monday. But I do think we are now learning here in the in the social media era, okay, that the overall meta narrative cannot be trounced by what you do with activists on the ground. It it cannot be overcome, period, end of sentence, That, that you have to have a narrative up here, OK, that then permeates through yep. via social media down to the average person. And I don't believe there is any narrative that Ron DeSantis could have crafted that would have been more potent than what they're doing to Trump isn't fair. And, we, and, and we've got to see this through. OK, yep. but moving forward, if we have another one and I want to compete in Iowa, I'm going to spend a lot less time lining up precinct captains and a lot more time making sure that up here I I, I'm, I am am competing, if not dominating at the meta-narrative level.
4: Well, I think what it is, and, and you know, Mike Huckabee talked about this in a news program that he he was right before I was. And talking about organization, how important that is, of course, Huckabee's organization was primarily organic. He did not have the money to have a great organization. But he talked about not only do you need organization, but you need enthusiasm. Your people need to be enthused to go to the polls. And for, I think for the Trump people, they were enthused to go to the polls. And I think even with a great organization like Ron DeSantis, if you believe the narrative of we're getting beat by 30, do you have the enthusiasm say, I'm going to go into an environment that's not a primary, I cast a vote and leave, I'm going to be there for potentially two hours with a conversation with my neighbors?
1: All right. We won't see you again. Till, for, for a little while. Yeah, because you're off to your uh, perennial uh, February yep. escape yep. of Iowa winter. Yeah, we're so still any, working. Any...
4: It's not vacation. We're still working. We're seeing a lot of great ministry partners and doing some ministry while we're in Florida as well. But it is a great opportunity to get away.
1: So we've got about a minute and a half. Yep. Do you have any
4: parting words here? Because it'll be a minute before we talk to you. Yeah, pr- probably the parting words I'd have is that... Uh, uh, I, I did a lot of media. I mean, from Fox to CNN to uh, just a lot of media during this caucus process. And I was happy to do all of it. But I told Darla, ironically, the time that I've got kind of the, uh, the butterflies in my stomach was going to our precinct caucus. Because now we're going in front of neighbors. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to speak on behalf of DeSantis. And so I spoke on behalf of DeSantis and I could tell right away that the the neighborhood was very open, very welcoming, very encouraging. And then Trump didn't have anybody lined up to speak at our precinct. I thought, that shows a lack of organization. So I thought... Didn't have anybody lined up. Didn't have almost
1: any organization at our precinct either.
4: And I thought, you know what? This is starting to look good. While leaving our precinct, uh, DeSantis won with 41%. Nikki Haley got 28%. And Trump got 21%. And I thought... This is going to be a good a good night for DeSantis, only to find out that that was unraveled. Now, of course, I'm in a Des Moines suburb, and I'm sure you talked about the suburbs. We are going to talk about well. this
1: next hour, yes. And
4: the rule parts really carried it. I, I would say, you know, right now, uh, we need to do our part. Uh, you say it a lot, revival or bus. There's a lot at stake here. Uh, we need the church to rise up, but with a voice about something to vote for, not just something to vote against, and I hope we can get there. I think it's fascinating that we have gone for you and I can remember when Iowa
1: shouldn't matter and shouldn't be first to Donald Trump got seven and a half percent of the 752,000 registered Republicans in Iowa. And, and so it's over. We're done here. We're moving on.
4: Remember, though, before Quickly. this caucus, we said Iowa is we that did. crucial. Yep. Iowa is that crucial. We did. So what happens next? Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Let's turn the page and we'll do that
1: next hour. Back here with hour two live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. And you can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Just email the show Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D E A C E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, get her Instagram and TikTok. And again, the last name, D-E-A-C-E. And if you are a podcast listener, thank you so very much. You're a big reason why this show gets to continue to exist at all. Please, if you have not done this yet, leave us a five-star review if you love the show. We would appreciate those. Our goal this year is to see if we can get over 10,000. Maybe we can't, but we'd love to see that. We're at about 9,400 right now, I think is the number we're at. You can also uh, hit subscribe or if if you listen via iTunes, it's follow these days. And, And that way, every day that we do a new show, it'll show up in your feed every single day and thank you to all of you that do that for the program too. This part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Jace Medical and you guys know I love it I love it when we get positive feedback on our partners Uh, This is from Jake in Michigan Uh, Jake says, I was dropped from my doctor's office for missing two appointments in a calendar year and was in a predicament I'd not really ever been in before. I really only needed my doctor for one reoccurring medication for high blood pressure. I immediately felt the effects of not having that crucial med and was trying to find an office that accepted new patients, but time was running out. I remembered your talk about Jace Medical. I immediately searched their medications and found my exact one. So on January 13th, I placed my order. I received a text instantly on a non-business day asking for information on previous proof of medication i submitted that info five days later i received a year supply of a life-saving medication for me i haven't heard a testimony about Jace yet. i wanted to let anyone know if you're on the fence or think they might not have what you need it is worth the effort jace is legit and that is from jake in michigan take it from him He's been through it as well. So get the Jace case right now. You can customize it with meds like what Jake was looking for, maybe what you're looking for. You can also gift a box for someone, a loved one that you're concerned about, shortages for their med. Uh, Just go to jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Again, that's jacemedical.com, and use the promo code DACE at checkout for a discount. Promo code DACE at checkout for a discount at jacemedical.com. So we looked back last hour with Ron DeSantis deciding yesterday to formally suspend his campaign. Um, I'm going to put now. I'm going to take the DeSantis um, fanboy hat off and put the analyst hat on. All right, and now that kind, now that basically the general election is set. All right, so the poll jar is off the table. We're going to make an exception here because this is, a, agreed, this is a place for real legit analysis and to look at things. Yes. All right, that doesn't require a contrivance or forcing it, all right, because we're out of things to talk about. Okay, so I, I, I did my best yesterday to look ahead to what I think is in store, not in terms of predictions, but conditions. What's the environment going to be for this campaign? And and there's a I mean, I could have written and and come up with a lot more, but I wanted to for the to narrow it down to the 10 things that I thought were the most likely to be true and the simplest to explain. So let's talk about them. What happens now? All right. With DeSantis out of this race, what are the top 10 things to look for over the next 288 days? The 2024 election is 288 days from today. We'll take these one at a time. Number one, this puts us on pace for the longest general election campaign in American history, both in terms of duration, but also media saturation. And with two unpopular aging candidates whose favorables are well underwater, even before they start fully unloading on each other daily, this is going to be one exhausted electorate on Election Day. And we were already having turnout problems on the right. Number that's number one. Quick thoughts on that.
3: Yes. So if you want to head your bets uh, on that exhaustion level and try to stay as healthy as possible, that number that Steve said at the outset, the number of days we have remaining, that's a lot of time. You are and I put out a tweet at the end of the night. It went viral, and people clearly agree with it. You owe them nothing right now. You don't have to hitch your wagon to anybody they have to make promises to you don't like hit your wagon and now you need to like somehow feng shui everything donald trump does no 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 don't do that if you do that to yourself it's on you it's a
1: long-standing policy of this show that our job is uh it's it's their job to convince us not the other way around i mean I, that that's that, i mean I, I mean i've said that the entirety of this show it doesn't matter who the candidates are so 100% agree with that. Aaron, you have a quick take? Nearly
2: yeah, nearly 300 days is a long time for all of us. It's um, like dog years if you're pushing 80 years old or over 80 years old. That is a long, long time. And just echoing what Todd said, so far, with limited exceptions, at least online, the uh, the persuasive argument that I've heard is uh, fall fallen line behind uh, Trump, you little B-word, and I do not find that persuasive as of yet, but I'm open. I mean, I'm, I'm open. I'll listen. I'm not going to commit to anything right now, one way or
1: another. Well, this brings us to number two. And it goes back to what I said to Bob Vanderplats a few minutes ago. Outside of Trump's most committed base, this is just simply a fact, not analysis. It is a fact. The GOP has an enthusiasm gap that we keep seeing manifested in special off-year elections. We, we just saw it in a Florida off-year special election last week. We had a woman running who basically disavowed DeSantis and lined up with Trump. DeSantis won her district by five points. She lost, I think, by, what, two or four or something. So last year, remember, we told you at the end of last year that in off-year and special elections, Democrats outperformed the partisan breakdown of those races across the country by an average of nine points. It, it, we all know we uh, there's a reason why Democrats want to talk about Donald Trump all the time, because this mobilizes their base. It, it, their base with him is the face of our of us now. Their base is going to be at max lip. That is is that if if if, if I, I don't know that there's much we can say today that's certainty about 288 days from now. Fair. This
3: is why the I put one up there thing on Friday, we can he's going to
1: win. The one thing we can certainly say, we can certainly say. Is putting Trump at the, as the face of the Republican Party generates because it has every time it's been done will generate a max lit Democratic base that we know. I have no idea whether Joe Biden is a vegetable can win independence or not. Again, those are things and we'll get into some of this here in a minute. But the one constant here uh, that we have seen is that the presence of Donald Trump ignites their base on thermonuclear levels. All right, so I, that leads to going back to what I, to, to, to point two. All right, and, and we just saw this again in Iowa with record low turnout in the caucuses. Does Trump take the next couple of months... To try and re-energize things, he gave a very gracious statement about DeSantis yesterday. Hey, DeSantis, i is retired now. We're done. I'm honored to have his endorsement. Now, his daughter Laura is out there on, as just one of the people that Aaron, you were referencing probably. She's out there mocking DeSantis people. Okay, they need to energize the GOP base. It is not Trump's base is energized. The GOP base is not as a whole energized, and it's got to get energized to the level of of Biden's base. Because the Democrats, if you all you've got to do, man, all you have to do to make their people go thermonuclear is just show a picture of Donald Trump. And so, will Trump spend the next couple of months doing that? What would it look like if he even did? I don't know. Thoughts?
3: Can't even imagine what that looks like. We can't even point to one variable that's happened where if we can just cap- capture this magic or this level of competence... Something drastically, miraculous has
1: to change. Well, one thing would be to have his daughter stop tweeting. I think that would be helpful. But Aaron?
2: Yeah, I'm not going to expend too much energy trying to point to things that uh, they could do differently or um, change message tactic in order to re-energize the base. That's their job, and uh, that's the job that they wanted. So I'll I'll just sit back and watch.
1: Yep. Number three, the lawfare against Trump will continue. SCOTUS is willing to hear the ballot access case, but will, but, but, and that's huge, and you have to think if they're willing to hear it, they're probably going to rule against Colorado, but we shall see. But the, the thing that, they, we, that we really need SCOTUS to hear is the Trump immunity case to avoid prosecution in front of the D.C. Star Chamber later this year. So right now, Trump is certain to lose that appeal, I believe, in the left-dominated circuit court. He's appealed the, the, the Obama uh, activist judge, every one of her decisions. He's lost at the circuit court every one of his appeals. Remember, we broke down the makeup of that court. Um, I think it was seven or eight Democrats. Well, seven, seven Democrats, one Bush, George Bush appointee. So you'd think he's probably against Trump, right? It's a left-dominated circuit court there that oversees D.C. So if SCOTUS doesn't take his appeal... Before the term expires right now, that trial, it's technically slated to begin right around Super Tuesday, but that assumes that the D.C. Circuit Court will give its, its, its ruling on Trump's appeal by then. And then the Supreme Court Trump, if, if, if Trump is a, if I'm right, and I think it's I'm not this isn't prescient. Uh, Hey, Donald Trump's going to lose an appeal to a bunch of Democrat judges. I mean, I mean, okay. I mean, I'm not I'm not Nostradamus here gazing into the ether. You know what I'm saying? All right. So with that likely eventuality looming, then Trump will, of course, appeal to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's uh, term doesn't end until June 30th. All right. So will the court by June 30th hear that appeal? If it if it doesn't, then we go on. Which, in fact, and that could create a difficult situation. And rather than commenting on this one, Aaron, let's go right to number four. Okay? How difficult? Well, let me give you, I think, what is a very plausible scenario. Imagine Democrats, the D.C. court. My bad. Forty and slip. Um, They've got an excuse now to reschedule the trial for, like, right in the middle of the GOP convention in mid-July. Like, right in the middle of it. Put Trump on trial. More likely, they do it after the Democrat convention in August so that Trump is now cemented as the GOP nominee. They put him on trial at their star chamber. The gulag that they uh, th- that is the jury pool there in D.C. convicts him just as the general election is beginning for most Americans. Then Democrats will claim, hey, this isn't ham-fisted. We were going to do this early in the year. We just had to... Trump appealed. We had to work our way through all these appeals. And, and by golly... It just so happens that we're doing this right at the time that everybody's paying attention so that the campaign is basically suspended. while we put on we put Trump on trial and just in time for it to impact the general election at the most painful time for our side. That is a very plausible scenario if you line up the timelines here. Gentlemen, what do you think?
3: And we want to through all of that we want to try to build up a base per the reading, the previous talking point i mean good grief they, they the lawfare happens because they know we have a soft dimwitted lazy uh base who clearly they knew better than we did in Iowa that they weren't going to turn out and because and yet we that's exactly what we need we need a a base that can see through all this to combat it yet it starts in the very beginning because it knows that doesn't exist that's where we are stuck we don't have the people that can maintain a level of energy they couldn't do it through an Iowa caucus when this guy was coming to every county they were given everything we say we want now take that writ large to this country the base does not have the energy to deal with this
2: I think the Trump campaign's best friend right now is probably dementia. We're going to get to that. And uh, yeah, you'll we'll get to that in a little bit. I, I've been reliably informed, Todd, by the same people that uh, insist, uh, rightfully so, that uh, pure democracy is uh, a terrible thing. Uh, we can't, on the other hand, uh, criticize the people who make up that democracy. I've, I've been reliably informed of that, Todd.
1: Yep. Number six. And this is this is already beginning. Five. Yeah. I'm sorry. Number five. Yeah. Thank you. Is there a point? This is a follow up to these two points that we were just talking about with the lawfare. Is there a point where these legal persecutions of Trump become so heavy handed and so disgusting that Normies finally, finally, finally feel a sense of outrage on Trump's behalf? Like we get through the conventions and then they, they 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 turn on the TV in September and we have Trump on trial for January 6th. Is, is there a point? Uh, essentially, the Brett Kavanaugh scenario, by the way, what happened after that Brett Kavanaugh scenario when it when it was very clear that what they were doing to Brett Kavanaugh was a fraud? What happened right after that? Do you guys the remember Twenty
2: eighteen midterms?
1: Yeah, Democrats won 40 House seats. Do you remember that? Democrats won 40 House seats after they after what they did to Brett Kavanaugh. That happened in September, October. They turned around in November and won 40 House seats. But is there a point? This this is a big talking point, frankly. People that we've had on our show as guests, people that have been friends of ours in the past, that are, that are Trump social media influencers, they have been saying all of last year, they are convinced that once everybody else in the country has to see how far Democrats are willing to go to stop and destroy Donald Trump, that that will create a sympathy backlash in favor of Trump. Now, up until this point, the exact opposite has been true. For example, look at the exit polling in Iowa. Seventy-eight percent of Iowa caucus voters said they were they identified as MAGA. That's about as big as you're going to get anywhere when there's a, when there's a challenger in the race, right? Like, like you know, if if Nikki Haley decides to stick around to get completely you know, pollaxed in her native South Carolina at the end of February, and and if that exit poll might show it's like, you know. you know, but the reality, when it's really considered competitive, you can't ask for a higher MAGA sample than 78%. In the same exit poll, one third of those people said they'd never vote for Trump if he's a convicted felon. Now, I think there's no way that number holds on election day. But what if it's 5%? What if it's three? That could make a difference, right? So this is a big thing for people I know, I like, people you guys know, we've had on the show. They They have been, they have been, they have been this has been their big talking point all of last year that what is happening to trump once this is out in the open will generate a sympathy and a and and a bag for him and a backlash against democrats once it becomes very clear this is the stuff of banana republics we shall see because i don't think the democrats are going to stop what they're doing unless the supreme court stops it
3: i'm sympathetic as a a citizen amongst a nation of citizens but that's not what we have there's just now news coming out regarding january 6th and the democrats on the january 6th committee it flat out erased a hard drive with encrypted uh information mm-hmm. on it mm-hmm. before turning it over to the republicans you don't even know what the, you d- amongst citizens who are serious on both sides republican and democrat you don't even really need to know what was on those encrypted, just the fact that they did this, right. you're out. Like, what's the benign, innocent yes, explanation no for reason. that at all? Okay. Yeah. But then you add on top what's probably on them. Okay. But here's the thing: no one, if, uh, no one even knows about this. And probably, no matter what we find out, most people won't because consumers have chosen. I'm only going to get what I want.
1: So you're drawing a distinction between citizens and consumers. Yeah, and I have right, been so, for a long time. Right, so, will you don't believe you, you don't believe there is a price point where it penetrates the con, the citizen the consumer base, and it just stays in the citizen. The
3: normies, base. our breads and circuses, Steve. Today are more powerful than ever before.
1: 2020
2: was an example of an event that had a far greater granular impact on the everyday person in America than anything else maybe in this country's history. Yep, yep. Anything else other than anything else, it had a far more of an impact uh, on the everyday person than anything that's going on with Trump right now, right or wrong, fair or unfair, and it's wrong and it's unfair. I agree with you. And the response from the resistance to what happened in 2020 or at least those who claimed resistance, was to just move on. Yeah. What do you do with that?
1: That is a fascinating symbiotic relationship. In some respects, here, when you said, as you were talking, here's what struck me, Aaron, in response to what you were saying. In some respects, the frustration we felt that we could never get a true level of accountability for COVID as DeSantis people where DeSantis, that was clearly the strongest contrast between him and Trump, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that we could never get even our own people to look at that, that same instinct that you're describing, Todd, is exactly why it'll be also on the other side difficult to get the same people who couldn't be bothered to go back and relive what COVID did to them, okay? The idea, and this goes to, you know... You guys know I love O'Ron McIntyre, who came on board here. Yeah. I, he, I mean, I think he's brilliant. He's one of the people in our industry and movement, I quote most often. But him and I, it was polite, but him and I had a disagreement about this on the show a few months ago. He He's one of these folks. He believes there's a critical mass of, of that Trump is such a lightning rod and such a celebrity that there's a critical mass of destruction they can do to him that the normies will finally, once that's exposed, say... OK, that's this has gone too far. And, and my counter to that is when they they did this to the normies, forget forget a guy they don't even personally like. Yeah, they did it to the normies and their own children and they could not be moved to demand right. justice for that why in the world would they suddenly find a place where what's happening to this billionaire they don't like is so over the top and it is what's going on in new york they're they're yes. essentially saying because because you hurt us politically we're going to take your entire family fortune away that is some unamerican bleep, man i don't care what anybody says whether you like him or not that stuff ain't right okay we sh- that, that that we just can't that is the stuff of <laughs> You, that is when your social compact is broken, all right. But if 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 I couldn't revolt against the school board that masked my kid, if I wasn't going to stand up to my company that made me take a poison, yep. if I'm going to just reelect, we just had a midterm <laughs> that was one of the most incumbent. incumbent positive midterm elections in modern history after everything the country just went through in 2022 and then and then after i send all these people back i'm now going to turn around and say but that guy that i've proven over and over again i can't personally stand that i already wanted to get that that i already sacrificed inflation for to get rid of mean tweets hey what's happening to him i care more about him than myself Mm -hmm. I don't believe in the the suburbs where I live. I don't believe that that can happen. I just don't. The opposite is true. Even if they do
3: in their mind know that he did get screwed in their heart, they'll think he deserves it anyways because they're that vindictive and that shallow. That's who we are. And
1: they're permitted that because they're comfortable. They're not suffering enough there yet. Life is good
3: in those places. Our bread and our circuses are pure crack. We, We have too many games to go watch.
1: All right, let's go to number six. This is already happening, by the way. This, this started even earlier than I thought it was going to. Look for a Biden recovery, or maybe a better word is a resurgence, and look at the polls! There it is. The Marist, New Hampshire poll on Friday that had Biden with a 38% approval rating. That is so bad. Like, de- de- Leave the White House now. Jimmy Carter, Richard Nixon, Watergate. Go home. Stop. What are yeah. you doing? Leave, mm-hmm. leave, leave, leave. Same poll. Had uh, Biden beating Trump by seven points. (laughs) So I think you're going to see Democrats pump a ton of sunshine into the economy. Quietly late last week, Joe Biden, it got, no one noticed. Quietly late, late last week, Joe Biden forgave $5 billion in student loans. Wouldn't shock me in the next 288 days, they try to forgive it all. They'll cut interest rates at least once. They're going to try to pump as much sunshine into the economy to keep suburban voters as comfortably numb as they can the rest of the year. That's Steve, what Mike going to Johnson to do.
3: will stand up to all that, don't you think?
1: He won't. No. Second
2: Macedonians, 38, verse 7. And at the ninth hour, Trump called out, McLaughlin, McLaughlin, get me McLaughlin. Which is to say, my polls, my polls why have you forsaken me? That's is that what you're saying here, Steve?
1: I mean, this 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 again, I'm not a not this was pretty obvious that this was going to happen and it's already underway. You know? So the problem that we're going to have is that <laughs> we're going to want to spend the next 288 days discrediting their polls. And they're going to counter with, "You mean the polls that called your primary completely correct? Yeah. That were right the entire time?" Yeah. You see? Oh, I so, so, so I, I, and 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 I, you know, so we're we're kind of left with, well, I guess if the polls go against us, they're bad, and if they're for us, they're good. Again, they're fine. They're fine with everybody believes everybody sucks and everybody lies. They're they're they are totally kosher with that because they know that the mere mention of Trump is going to thermonuclear ignite their base. They know that. They know that. Let's do one more because it follows up number six. How will Trump respond to any polling decline? His campaign strategy has always included either the polls or been in response to them. He's already admitting in the primary he thinks the party cannot be pro-life and win. Does Trump openly say things like, quote, Women should have access to abortion on some level. Okay? On some level. Does he say things like that? And if so, how does the GOP base respond to an openly pro-choice nominee? Will he choose a pro-choice running mate? One of the things that helped Trump a ton in 2016 is that he didn't move left when the polls were against him in 2016. He actually stayed pretty far right. In terms of his messaging... In terms of his messaging, Trump in 2016 was the most right-wing messaging we've ever seen a, a Republican presidential nominee have. And he won. But will he do that this time? Especially when he was already moving left in the primary. These are things to also consider. Because that's, that's kind of the old standard GOP playbook. What Trump is saying at a, about abortion now and being a killer national issue it's, it's not what he was saying in 2016. In 2016, he was saying, I'm going to appoint justices that I overturn Roe. said that in a presidential debate with 110 million people watching against Hillary. Now he is saying that we, we can't be pro-life. We have to win elections. He's just saying that out loud. He's condemning pro-life legislation. What happens if he just openly runs pro-choice? Openly has a pro-choice running mate. Because... 2024 Trump sounds a lot more like Republicans previous to 2016 Trump, meaning that polls are bad. Move left. Right. In 2016, Trump said polls are bad. We're going further. Right. (laughs) All right. And it worked. It drew a starker contrast between him and the Democrats. Quick thoughts on this before the end of the break.
3: It is January. The elections in November. Trump is the weather and we have winter, spring, summer and fall to go. Everything is on the table, Steve. Every weather scenario you can think of in the Trumpian domain is on the table.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd say there's, there's an equal chance that somebody like Tucker Carlson is on the ticket with somebody who is adamantly uh, like Elise Stefanik or Nancy Mace, just pro-choice Republicans, pro-baby killing mm-hmm. Republicans. It's an equal chance. So <clears throat> now I, I think his vice presidential pick could have the opportunity to energize, maybe create a little bit of the energy that we're, we're talking about. He needs. Agreed. Yep. Um, but it also has the opposite. It could have the opposite impact as, a, as well. So <clears throat> I don't know. That's a shorter way of saying, I don't know. Uh, as Todd said, it is the weather um, meteorological forecasts are not predictions. They are educated guesses. Educated guesses, and when we're talking about Trump as the weather, educated guesses are even less reliable than meteorologi- meteorological uh, forecasts. So, just be prepared for anything.
3: <laughs> and forget about thinking it from our side. Think about it from their side. Are we really believing the people who say, "Oh, I, I think I might, I might be out if he picks um, Nikki Haley"?
1: Do you believe that? I don't. <laughs> In, at the numbers they're claiming, no. Do I think it could cost one to three percent? Absolutely, I do. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I do. We're we're already seeing a depressed turnout. We're already seeing it. Um, I do think this is the most important running mate selection I can ever think of. Given the systemic weaknesses with key constituencies, the the the, the nominee will have, and his age, you know, um, I I think this is a very key running mate selection. I don't disagree. I mean, I, I can't think of a time that it was, that, that it was probably more important who the running mate was for him. And I going to what Aaron said, this is why, by the way, I'm not making predictions. I'm laying out situations because of what Aaron said, citing Utah. There's a lot of seasons of Trump still to come. Okay. The, the, the good news with Trump is if it right now you're like, what are we doing here? Tomorrow, to quote Scarlett O'Hara, is another day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Tomorrow well, could be the. To, it, it, it's Harvey Two Face, man. We're gonna flip a coin. One day, one day, we're gonna move the the embassy to Jerusalem. The next day, we're gonna let Chaz exist for two months. One day, you know, um, we're 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 gonna overturn Roe v. Wade. The next day, we're gonna say we're too pro life. I mean, it just that's the reality you're dealing with a guy whose worldview is art of the deal and whatever are the best what he views is the best conditions oh. to make the deal he wants is where he goes that's just the re- so it's just hold tight you know that's the reality don't get comfortable but also don't make a lot of long-term plans yep yeah all right we've got three more and we'll get to them and discuss them next Our friends at Patriot Mobile have been on the vanguard of the parallel economy as America's only American mobile phone company. We finally got Todd hooked up. You guys are going through the switch right now. Working on it. All right. Let us know how that goes when it's all said and done. They did a great job for us. I'm confident with their 100% U.S.-based customer service team. They will also do a great job for you. You can switch at any point in time on any of the three major networks out there for free if you're a member. Uh, they will customize a plan just for you. If you're a veteran or first responder, let them know they've got extra ways to say thank you for your service if you are. And for the rest of us, you can also get a free activation if you use my name, Steve, as your promo code. A free activation. You can upgrade your phone, keep your number, keep your phone, whatever you want to do. Just go to PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Steve. You can also call them at 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. Or patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Use the offer code Steve for the free activation. All right. Let's do these last as we look ahead now and turn the page on on what I think are the conditions that we will be having this election under. I'm not making any predictions for a lot of the reasons you guys have articulated. I'm just I'm just giving you a weather forecast of what I think the environment will be that that. This election will be conducted within in the next 288 days. All right. We've got um, three more of these. I'm going to go through all three and then let you guys give like your your thoughts on the final three collectively. Okay. Uh, Number eight, Biden or whomever the Democrat nominee ends up being. I think it is if he is if he's solvent or competent, it will be Biden. Um, They're going to paint Trump and his base as villains or quote unquote danger to democracy. uh, Insurrectionists. OK, Republicans are going to run on Biden as a vegetable, as Aaron alluded to earlier. To that end, I think you're going to see far less of Biden than even you expect to see. Uh, they cannot afford a grueling campaign schedule that threatens to display his glitches with more people now paying attention. Uh, they're going to save what's left of his faculties for major events like the State of the Union convention speech. I, I do not think you'll get a lot of long form exposure to Joe Biden in the next 288 days. Similarly, number nine. I don't expect you're going to see any more debates. Democrats will say, since Trump didn't debate his party, they don't have to debate him. Or they'll just say, hey, we don't have... Insurrectionists and convicted felons don't deserve to be debated. Again, this is going to be to try to risk avoiding Biden glitching out. Because that is that is one thing. The normies, I don't think they care about Trump. But if Biden like completely glitches out and says... Ground control to Major Tom in the middle of a debate with 110 million people watching. That I do think the Normies like. Okay, all right, that that pfft, now my comfort's at risk. Get that guy out of there. So I think I think they are going to play uh, hide the president even more than you think. Furthermore, though, here's the other reason why I don't think there'll be debates. RFK Jr. He's already polling at a level that they would have to include him in the debates at the level he's polling, well into the 20s in a lot of places. I I don't believe Trump or Biden wants RFK Jr. on a stage. Neither one of them do. That's the other reason why I don't think there will be debates. I think you'll see the Trump campaign complain mightily when the debates are canceled. And then at the same time, though, not do anything substantively to try to alter that because they don't want RFK Jr. on the stage. Nobody does. Number 10. This battle will be won in the suburbs since detailed exit polling began in 1972. Meaning we went beyond party registration, race. We started to get into economic, you know, standard of living, you know, demographics. Since 1972, whichever party won the suburbs has won every single presidential election. Every single one. Trump narrowly won them in 2016 um, and therefore won. But the Republican Party has lost the suburbs in every election since and thus lost all those elections. One thing that could be an aid here for Trump if RFK Jr. can siphon off enough youth and or minority voters from Biden so that, say, Trump loses by two or three. Republicans lost them by about two and a half points, two to three points, depending on which exit polling you look at. Republicans lost the suburbs by a very narrow margin in the 2022 midterms, and notice that a lot of these elections in those midterms were very narrowly decided. He could probably, with his rural turnout, probably sustain a two or three point suburban loss if RFK Jr. can siphon off enough of the youth and minority vote from Biden. But remember, there's a hell of a lot more suburban voters than there are youth voters and even more than there are black voters blacks are 12% of the U S population. By the way, what would Democrats do to RFK Jr. if they actually felt that that could occur? Know what I'm saying? Like they're denying the guy Secret Service protection. He's a Kennedy. You know, what's his Playboy record, you know, back in back in the day? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I mean, if, it, right, if, if we get to September, October, and it looks like RFK Jr. could siphon off enough of those two key demographics that Trump could win, they are going to destroy RFK Jr., destroy him so that's the problem with relying on him because I I do think he'll beat Perot but he's not a Perot candidate meaning Perot took a majority of Perot's vote came from the Republican side in 1992 RFK Jr. is going to appeal to dissidents on both sides here so right now as long as it's kind of 50-50 or more likely you know 60-40 he takes away from Trump Hey, it's democracy. People get to run for office, right? As soon as they think that he is a threat to them, I mean, they are going to unleash the hounds. They are going to try to destroy him. Literally, figuratively. That's why I wouldn't be banking on RFK Jr. playing, you know, Ralph Nader for you, if you remember the 2000 presidential Mm -hmm. election. If he does, great, but I wouldn't make that part of my strategy because we could wake up one day and, hey... Here's RFK Jr. next to Jeffrey Epstein on his plane. You know what I'm saying? The whole thing. And then, you know. So there's more I could say, but for now, those are the 10 things that I think will play into the environment that we're going to see between now and November the 5th. I turn it over to the two of you.
3: Well, I feel this pall over me in this show that is unique. And it's very much a... The clock has struck midnight, kind of thing, and nothing has talked me out of it. I, I this, I think this really is the first un-American presidential election. I think uh, the fact that you have two eighty people complain about it all they want, but you know they'll also be the well, oh, fine, no debates, fine. I don't want, one this thing. I even have to pretend to say I care about because I'm an American. You know, most people don't want to be involved, and they'll find oh, it's beneath me when this whole process. Became came this way largely because you, you know, weren't willing to do what is necessary as a citizen. I think, I think, I think we will actually see less of Donald Trump for all the reasons you said about Biden uh, as well. For all the talk, uh, all of his sycophants know on some level, that they, you know, their job is like damage control agent and they, I, I think all of them would like to just be they all of them want to just go for Or well. I think this is going to be grotesque. Absolutely grotesque. I think this is gonna be just a it, it's it's gonna be the um the red light district from both sides and it's gonna be nothing to be proud of.
2: I'll kinda of take these <clears throat> in order. Uh eight, nine, and ten. You know, I would caution folks, I, I said dementia might be Donald Trump's best friend in terms of Biden's dementia. Guys, we also thought that in 2020. We thought there's no way the Americans could see a vegetable and say, vote for that. Doesn't mean that they're going to turn around and vote for Donald Trump, but you would have thought people would just kind of stay home because a, a, a walking, talking uh, dementia patient, um is not exactly one, something you get really excited for. And all of the, all of the controversy about the election, um, I believe there's no question it was rigged. Some people would say it was stolen and rigged just beyond the typical uh, mainstream media bias and all of that. Um, that shouldn't have been an election that was in question. It really shouldn't have been. Um, so there's that. The next point um, about biden uh, let's see de- debating why would why would either side th- you, these people are already known and quantified agencies all of the all of the um, arguments that you just laid out for why Biden wouldn't want to debate yep. trump Trump could make for Biden as well let's just be honest about that, so there's no point in debating which should tell you a lot about the state of this country in and of itself. And then the point about the suburbs and perhaps the youth vote siphoning off support from uh, Joe Biden or whoever ends up being, whomever ends up being the Democrat nominee, we're getting into Rube Goldberg territory. Because where would those youth votes, which states are those youth votes coming from? That's
1: true, too. Yeah.
2: Um, and when you start saying, hey, we need to siphon off this uh, yeah. a number of youth votes from this state. I mean, if they this, come from largely
1: blue uh, states, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So that's Rube Goldberg territory right there, which worked in 2016, has not worked thus far uh, since. So <sighs> I hope we're I hope we're we're wrong about this analysis.
1: It's not an analysis, again. Or observations. It's, ob- it's, uh, it's just observations. This is going to be the environment. I absolutely think there could be a, a, a Joe Biden glitch level event on a macro that's impossible to ignore. I absolutely believe that. And then the question is, whom would they be left with to sub him out if that were to happen? Kamala is a joke. DeSantis essentially ended G- Gavin Newsom. Is it Big Mike? Do they run Newsom anyway? I, I don't know. But I, I would much more run on a strategy of Biden as a vegetable and, it, and basing him glitching out as part of my strategy. I think that's much more of a constant than hoping RFK Jr. siphons off enough of the other side's people. Because if that were to happen, I, you know, what, what they would be willing to do to him, I think, would not be a fun watch on any level whatsoever. All right. I want to, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to take a couple of minutes for a personal point of order to close this out here today. I wanted to go hardcore on this today, um, and because I, I I I don't plan on spending every day on this show for the next 288 days, getting into the nuances of this. our, um, our mantra this year our vision this year is dominion control what you can control and i have like no real say over this outcome from this time forward you know i mean i don't i don't know how many more times my audience needs to hear joe biden is bad and the country can't afford another 4 years i'm, I'm thinking there's almost probably everybody tuned into this probably already thinks that to some degree okay so um, my calcium score last year told me I had a 5% chance of having a lethal stroke in the next 10 years. I, I nearly stroked out several times in 2020, whether it was trying to get the Trump white house's attention on COVID, trying to get the Trump white house to act more, more act more strongly on the riots, uh, trying to get uh, the Trump re-election team to curtail Or to focus their efforts on election fraud, on winnable cases. You guys were here. You remember all those shows? Yeah. I I I just I I don't think anything I will say will make a difference. And I don't think it matters. Even these people are better at this than me. I know when I'm beaten. The heart wants what the heart wants. I'm even I'm even out of step with the majority of my own fellow evangelicals in Iowa. Let alone like you know somebody that's. has some, you know, hidden cheat code um, of knowledge. I don't, all right? And on the on the rare times that I am right when I, you know, on this stuff, and others are wrong, I'm not going to get listened to anyway. So I, I'm just not going to involve myself in the nuance of this. When, when there is breaking news and it is significant, that's our job. We will cover it, of course. But on a daily basis, I, a lot of you have said you just don't get Trump in this era. You're right. I don't. It doesn't just line up with me on many levels. I don't understand it. And and even the times that I'm the closest aligned with it, I find myself frustrated by the way that it, you know, as I, as like the entirety of 2020, for example, even into 2021, 2022, I, I want you guys to know, man, I did everything I could possibly do to penetrate the Trump bubble on the vaccine. I, I did everything I could do. Short of jumping on a plane and just, you know, I'm live at Mar-a-Lago, Laura Loomer style just you know I'm stalking people until I get an audience. I I did everything else I could do. I called in every favor, every relationship. I did everything I could. It went nowhere. So my opinion is is just not sought after there and probably shouldn't be. I mean, they're all just they're a lot better at this than I am. And so I wish them luck. Country cannot afford four more years of Joe Biden. I wish them luck and I hope my inbox is savaged by told you so we had this all along um, on the night of november the 5th um my road to plow is worldview the last 15 years i have focused on activism and made disciples along the way maybe i've got at 50 maybe i've got another 15 years left I'm going to focus those 15 years on making disciples and then we'll, and then we'll create activists along the way. I'm going to reverse this because I, I know this. If, if there were more better dads, if there were more better husbands and they were more active in their communities and they took more of a leadership position in the things that the created order and the creator has given them, leadership and dominion over the level of angst and anxiety we would have about these presidential elections and that they all feel like it's a life or death one way or the other would greatly dissipate. And so that's where I'm going to focus my energy. There's will be a lot of other places you'll be able to tune in that'll break every poll down for you and every angle and every sound bite. I, I just think that that would be, that would just be me marking time. And I don't think I have any impact on the outcome of the race at all. So I'm going to steer our show this year and moving forward into having more of an impact on what goes on in our homes and what goes on in our communities. So deep dive analysis like you got today, you won't be seeing a lot of it. I don't even know how much of it you'll see between now and, you know, October when we're down to the stretch run of the election I have no control over whether Democrats can get one felony and conviction of Donald Trump or he can go 91 for 91 and I'll drive myself crazy you know analyzing it and that is of no use to anybody but a waste of time not to mention yours so I hope you enjoyed today we are back on mission tomorrow Dominion back on mission tomorrow God bless all of you. We're going to stick around for overtime and do a little ask me anything bonus style for everybody else. We'll see you tomorrow. Romans eight twenty eight. 28. This is Steve Dace.
0: On the Blaze Radio Network.